Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. I'll tell you what, nobody, nobody expected it. Nobody expected that there would be a resurrection. Like when you read the Bible and you see Jesus' followers, you don't find them early in the morning on the third day gathered outside the tomb holding hands going 10, 9, 8. Nobody, nobody expected Jesus to rise from the grave. You know what the disciples said they did? If you read the Bible, it tells us, hey, when Jesus died, they said, we ran. We tucked our tails. We ran. We hid. We lost our hope. We lost our faith. Nobody expected that Jesus would rise from the dead. Even, even when they learned that the stone had been rolled away and they ran to the tomb, they looked in and they went, huh. <laughs> well, that's weird. I wonder what happened. Like, I, I understand misplacing car keys, but misplacing a body? Nobody expected it to happen. And like, if, if you were writing a story, like if you're going to make this up, right? Let's create a religion and let's make this up. Wouldn't you think they'd get together? They would say, guys, come on. Let's get together. We're going to have to look like men of faith here. So let's get our story straight, all right? So we ran to the tomb and Peter goes, and I got there first. And John's like, bro, you know I beat you to the tomb. Anyway, anyway, we run to the tomb, we look in and we say, he's risen. And then John, you said, Indeed. <laughs> we can get some merch. We can get some bumper stickers. We can get some shirts. And it'll say, we knew all along. Right? You'd think they'd make themselves look like heroes. They didn't expect the resurrection. They ran and they hid even after they saw that the tomb was empty. They ran upstairs, locked the door behind them. But then something happened. Jesus showed up. In the flesh. And all of a sudden, these guys who had been cowering, who had been afraid, became real bold. And they started telling everybody, Jesus is alive. And no longer were they cowering. Now they were courage. They were filled with courage. So I want to take you to a passage in the Bible in Acts chapter 3. So open your Bible to Acts chapter 3. Uh, open it or turn it on your, your phone. And we're going to go to Acts chapter 3. And this passage that we're going to look at highlights the boldness and the courage of these guys who once were cowering in fear, afraid. Peter, remember, denying even knowing Jesus Christ. He talked a big game before that moment, but he denied him. All of them scattered, all of them afraid. The resurrection changed all of that. And what we're going to read, what we're going to read is not a made-up story. What we're going to read is a historical narrative. This is recorded by eyewitnesses. And they're writing to people who lived in that first century, who could have proof-checked all that they were writing. And what we find in the pages of what we're about to read is the boldness that believers have now had for over 2,000 years because Jesus is alive. Acts 3, verse 1. This is fun. Opening God's word. Now Peter and John, they were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So this is the big main temple in Jerusalem. And a man 
lame from birth. Now, this is, this is lame, can't walk, not lame like Chris's jokes. Lame, right? <laughs> Never been able to walk. Lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. That is called the beautiful gate. Now, let's stop there. As they are reading this in the first century, everybody reading it would be like, ah, yeah, the beautiful gate. I go there all the time. That's the gate I go through in order to get to the temple. That's, I know exactly what he's writing about, what he's talking about. It'd be like me telling you, uh, it's the steak and shake on Washington next to Walmart. You know, Walmart with a screwy like exit and entrance and lines and all. Yeah, that steak and shake. You're like, oh yeah, I know that steak and shake. They can go check this out. Like this is real. It exists. Verse 2 again, lame man from birth carried whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple, that's called beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. And so this, this poor man who can't work, he's being laid at this gate that goes into the temple because all the religious people are passing by. And if anybody is going to be generous and show some mercy, it's going to be the religious people. And so they lay him right there. Verse 3, Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he, the lame man, asked to receive alms. Now, alms is like money, uh, food, material goods that you would give to somebody who's poor. Now, he asked for alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, and, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them, because nobody engages a beggar unless you're going to give them something. Right? We, we tend to not even look at them. We tr tend to not engage. If we have no intention of giving somebody some money, we're like, well, let's just pretend. Like, I'm always, like, at a loss. What do I do? Like, if we go back to that Walmart and the stoplight there, and the person holding the sign, they're like, hey, I could use some food. I could use some money. And I pull up. I'm like, well, do I, do I acknowledge them? Or I shouldn't, like, pretend like they don't exist. They're not invisible. That's kind of rude. But if I acknowledge them, does that mean that I'm obligated then to give them money? And so I just start playing with my radio. Right? And so, like, you know, don't make eye contact. And I'm thinking, man, why am I sitting here when I should be back there? And why isn't this light turning? And how long can I make it look like I'm messing with my radio? So, like, if, you, if you're not going to give a poor man any money, you just don't look their way. But Peter and John say, look at us. They lock eyes. And so this poor man thinks, well, I'm going to get a big gift here. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. I want wah. Right? But, but, what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, this name Jesus had been on the lips of everybody recently. This is happening just within walking distance of all the events that had gone down just weeks before. The name of Jesus had been on people's lips because there was a large crowd that had stood before Pilate and they shouted that they, that they crucified Jesus, let Barabbas go, let the murderer go, kill Jesus. And then there's a bunch of people who began to say that Jesus is alive. And Jesus had revealed himself at one point to 500 eyewitnesses after his death. And then on Pentecost, there's like 3,000 people who gave their life to Jesus. And now the city's like just a buzz with all these people who are being changed and transformed. And your neighbor who used to live one way is now living a different way. Like you're a different human being now. And so everybody knows they've heard this name, Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up. And he took him 
Verse 7, and he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God, which is an unusual thing at the temple during the hour of prayer. People aren't generally leaping and praising God. This is a complete breach of like churchy etiquette. You don't do that during prayer. And so everybody's looking. It says this, and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And they'd never seen this poor guy stand before. They'd only seen him sitting in the dust. And they're all like, wait a minute. Isn't that the guy we ignore week after week? When he clung to Peter, while he clung to Peter and John, I should think so. Like if you've just been made whole, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Again, everybody reading this in the first century is like, I know right where that's at. I go into Solomon's portico all the time. Go check it out. Real event. And when Peter, verse 12, when Peter saw it, saw all the people coming, never miss a chance to preach, right? So I'm all coming. He addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? Then he begins to move into this short message, and he's going to give some history, history lesson time. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Not three different gods, one God, three different guys. The God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus. Now, let's stop there. What do you think Peter's going to say next? Jesus, who was a good man. He's going to say, Jesus, who was a good teacher. Jesus who taught us how to love one another. He doesn't do any of that. He goes right to the event and the events that have now changed everything. Here's what he says. Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you... You denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer, that's Barabbas, you asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, Peter. That's no way to win friends. Peter, that's not nice. Calling people out like that. Here he has all these people, like a captive audience. Hey, you remember Jesus? The dude you had killed, him. And then it turns. And this turn is the hinge of history. Watch this. He then says, whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. We, we don't simply believe something. We witness something. We saw something. We saw the risen Lord. We're not just followers. We're witnesses. We're not just like these, these cult members who are part of a little clique. No, we're witnesses. We aren't just believers of a particular teaching. We're eyewitnesses. We saw Jesus. We saw him die. We saw an empty tomb. And then we saw him in the flesh. We see that he has risen from the dead. We're all about a risen Savior. 
That's the message. And again, all of this is taking place within just like walks, steps of one another there at Golgotha, not far away. That's the place of the hill where the cross was. And then the garden tomb that was right next to it. And this, this is just weeks, just weeks after all of this happened. And now Peter and John, the guys who'd been hiding and running and behind locked doors, now are boldly, boldly and courageously, they're like just declaring, Jesus Christ was dead, but he's alive. He's risen from the grave. Their courage and their boldness, it's derived from this moment that Jesus rose from the dead, revealed himself to his followers, ascended into heaven in glory before their eyes, and then sent the promised Holy Spirit at Pentecost that now filled them and filled them with a boldness and a courage that they did not have before, declaring that Jesus is alive. Something has happened that has changed everything. Jesus rose from the dead. And that's why we're here. And this, this goes on. You, you move into chapter 4. It gets interesting as well. Watch this. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Right? They're, they're, these guys, they won't shut up about the resurrection. They just keep talking about it like a broken record. And the priests are like, could you please just preach on something else, anything else? Like, could you preach on love or maybe prayer? Oh, good grief. Preach on tithing. We don't care. Like, choose something else. And they're like, nope. Today it's the resurrection. And we're not going to let go of that. Jesus is alive. And they arrested him. First three, they arrested them, put him in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word, they believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. How? How does this movement grow so quickly? If you add this 5,000 to the 3,000 in Pentecost, we're at 8,000 people now within weeks who have given their life to Jesus Christ and stepped into this new reality, this new life. How is it? Well, again, all of these events... They're happening within walking distance of one another. They could go to these places. They could see what had happened. They, they, they were there. Some of the people in this crowd very well were some of the same people who were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And now they're giving their life to Jesus? How is that possible? Well, it's because they see people who are eyewitnesses trustworthy. They were one way. Now they're different. Nobody's producing a body. That would pretty much squash all this. And these 5,000 people give their life to Jesus Christ, not because he's a good man or a good teacher, but because he is the risen son of God. And that day, 5,000 people put their trust in Jesus. And here we are 2,000 years later, talking about the very same events that happened then, not simply because Jesus came from God, not because he was a great teacher. God had sent plenty of great teachers and great prophets. They believed because Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive, and he's still alive. Verse 5, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas. Short side note here, Annas and Caiaphas are related. Annas is Caiaphas's 
father-in-law, right? So at one point, Annas got deposed as high priest, but he kind of still kind of held court there, and everybody kind of looked at him as high priest. So he just kind of appointed Caiaphas, his son-in-law, a whole bunch of nepotism going on there, but they wanted to have a stranglehold on what was going on in the Jewish faith. So you got Annas, the high priest, you got Caiaphas and John and Alexander, all who were of the high priestly family. I look at them kind of like a, a family mafia, like let's let's... We're going to do you in, Jesus, right? Like, we're going to have you murdered. Again, look for yourself. People reading this in the first century, they'd be like, oh, yeah, we know Annas, we know Caiaphas, we know John, we know Alexander. They're all contemporary. Like, these are real people. Go ask them yourself about some of these things. Go talk to them. We have historians who are recording them, not just in the Bible, but outside of the Bible, who are saying, real people. We have archaeology that say, these are real people, not a story. This happened. And when they had set them in the midst, verse 6, when they set them in the midst, or verse 7 rather, so they get Peter and John and put them there, and they inquired, by what power, by what name did you do this? And when they say that, they're they're trying to get back to, how is it that you made this lame man walk? What power did you tap into? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Peter's going to do it again, aren't you, Peter? Peter, be careful. Don't you be calling people out. Peter, watch your tone. You're being a nice Christian. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? In other words, if the reason that we spent the whole night in jail is because we showed a random act of kindness to a crippled man, well, then let me go ahead and unfold and explain for you exactly what happened. I'm glad you asked. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, oh, Peter, that's not nice. You don't call people out like that. You crucified Caiaphas. You're corrupt, Caiaphas. You thought you could hide all of this, that it would not be exposed. Jesus Christ, whom you murdered. But then again, the tone changes And something miraculous occurs when he says, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. The guy that you murdered, Caiaphas, he's back. He's alive. You thought that you could bury the truth. The truth can't stay buried. It will come back. At the risk of their reputation, at the risk of their lives, at the risk of their liberty, they wouldn't shut up about Jesus rising from the dead. And for those of you who may be here, maybe watching, and you're just, you're like frustrated with Christians because you're like, man, you, you all, you're just so, man, you're so narrow-minded. You're so judgmental. Because we're not content to just pray our little prayers. Keep our faith contained in some walls. Because we don't allow 
ourselves to be washed away by the culture. Here's why. Peter says, and there's salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation isn't found anywhere else. Where else would we go? Where else could we go and find what Jesus Christ offers? The reason that we can't shut up about Jesus is because of what he has done. He's God in the flesh who's come to this earth. He lived a perfect life, went to a cross, died for our sins, dead, dead in a tomb, back to life. And there's nobody else that we could receive salvation from. Nobody's done what Jesus has done. Jesus said, I'm going to die for the sins of the world, but I'm coming back. And he pulled it off. Like, when you call your shot in baseball or basketball, that's impressive. But this, well, that's a whole nother level, right? Like, just go ahead and give us a list of the names of all of the people who have said and told, and we're, I'm going to die on this time, and then I'm going to rise from the dead, and they pulled it off, we'll worship them too. There is nobody else. Jesus Christ, the only name given to you and to me so that we might have salvation forever through him. No one else has ever done this. No other name, no other person has ever demonstrated the power of God through their own resurrection. The point, the point of healing the lame man, the point of proclaiming Jesus Christ is that he's God in the flesh. And he is the only one sufficient friend for your salvation. It doesn't come from this world. This world has nothing to give to you. You're not going to be able to hold on to enough money. You're not going to be able to get enough success. You're not going to be able to be good enough to pay off your debt of sin. Only Jesus Christ, who has come and lived a perfect life, died in your place to satisfy the wrath of God and then rise again so that you might have justification before God, being in a right standing only Jesus. There is no other name. There's no other name who offers this promise of forgiveness and eternal life than Jesus Christ. That's why. That, that's why some of us who have been scared and afraid or we were cowering in a corner have been able to step forward with boldness and courage into the conversations of this culture and proclaim boldly, Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God. And he came for you. Verse 13. Well, now when they saw the, what's the word? Boldness. Wasn't there before. But something changed for Peter and John. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They were absolutely astounded at the, the boldness and the courage and the very same invitation that Peter and John gave to those 5,000 people on that day is the very same invitation that continues to be given on this day, this day, 2,000 years later, and people have been hearing and responding to the witness of a risen Lord, ordinary men and women coming to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior happens. It happens even today, and perhaps even in this room, as you begin to hear and understand 
the good news that Jesus Christ came for you. You see, when, when Jesus came and he died on the cross, he, he didn't just have his life taken away from him. He laid his life down. He came on purpose for this moment. And he, when he died on that cross, he's a perfect sacrifice. The reason he's a perfect sacrifice, he's God in the flesh, fully man as well. But he was able to pull off what you and I can't. He lived a perfect life and never, ever broke a command of God. Never broke a single commandment. We can't say that we've done that. I mean, the high holy commandment is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Can any of us in good conscience be able to say, oh, I have always loved the Lord with all my heart. I don't know that we've done that in the last 48 hours. But Jesus Christ accomplished what we could not. And when he died on that cross, all of our sin was placed on him. He held what we couldn't. He was able to take the wrath of God. Someone must pay for our sin. Otherwise, you're just doing damage to the justice of God. And so he declares that there must be a sacrifice. Look, look, listen. How much does God have to love you to send his own son to die? How much does God have to hate sin to kill his own son? This is what he did. And when he took our sin, it was imputed, given to him. But then something miraculous happened. He then offers us his righteousness. And we are made right, not because of anything that we've done, but because of all of the work that has been done by this loving Heavenly Father. This changes everything. And the only thing that I can think to do is to give you the very same invitation that Peter gave to those individuals. Jesus Christ, whom you had sacrificed because of your sin died on the cross so that you can be forgiven. And on the third day, he rose from the dead so that you can have justification, so that you can be made right in the sight of God. And there is no other name by which we must be saved. And so I just ask you, would you put all of your trust in him? Would you put your trust in him? And when I ask you to put your trust in him, look, I'm, I'm asking you to be a Christian. And consider it soberly. Because when we invite somebody to be a Christian, this isn't just simply easy believism or cheap grace. No, this is all in. I'm moving into the kingdom of God. And when you move into the kingdom of God, you now stand in this place that is opposed to the kingdom of this world. And when you turn your affection from yourself and from this world and you put it on Christ, this world is going to hate you. They're going to hate you. And you are going to face some things in your life. There may be persecution, people laughing at you, not understanding. Why? Why? Why do they do that? Because there's two kingdoms at war. Just think, think of all the people. Think about you, how you didn't want God's rule and reign. You don't want to submit to him. You want to rule. You, want to re you don't want to repent of your sin. You want to pretend that everything is right. Why? Why is that? It's the pull of this world. For people who are just sick and tired of Christians and Christianity, where does that come from? 
this world. But when you hear the call of God, and I pray, and I have been praying, that that would be you in this moment, and your affection changes, you enter a new kingdom, and it's a matter of trust. What I'm encouraging you to do is to say, you know what, I'm going to take all of my trust off of myself for my own salvation, and I'm going to place it on Jesus. No, no longer am I going to trust in my prayers. I'm not going to trust in my church attendance. I'm not going to trust in my parents' faith. I'm not going to even trust in my own good intentions. I'm going to fully trust Jesus Christ for my salvation. Maybe you'd say, "What? I, I don't know that I can do that. I have so much sin. I feel so dirty. I'd, I'd just like to kind of cover my heads with, head with a blanket and just kind of like crawl into the dark. I'm not good enough. Christ has to start somewhere. I'm not good enough. I've not arrived yet. He's still working on me. And he wants to work on you. He has to start somewhere. So don't put off and say, well, maybe I'll get some things worked out. This is the moment to trust in him. And if something on the inside of you is saying, that's what I want. I want to be clean. I want this weight of guilt to be lifted. And I want to know that I have a relationship with the God of this universe. That's the Holy Spirit. And he is wooing you, prompting you, calling you to place your trust fully in Jesus. Would you stand? I want to pray for us. Maybe there's something in you and, and you're ready to like take a step of faith. I'm not asking you to come to the front today. I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I'm just asking you to do business with God right where you're at. And it's not a matter of you working in order to have salvation. Jesus Christ has done all of that work. We're going to pray a prayer and that prayer doesn't save you. But it is a recognition of taking the trust that you want to put in this world or yourself or anything else and you're putting it in Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. Lord Jesus, I trust you for my salvation. I believe. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I repent of my sin. I'm turning from that. And I'm asking that you would wash me, that you would cleanse me, I want your righteousness. I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to give. I just have dirty rags and a messed up life. And I'll just present myself to you. And I pray that your spirit would do a work on the inside of me. So I believe that you died on that cross. And I believe today that you rose from the dead. And you're alive. And you're calling me to yourself. And as best I know how, Lord... From this moment forward, I'm going to keep moving in your direction. Thank you for moving in mine. I receive you now. I make you my Lord. I make you my Savior. I believe. I believe in the crucifixion. I believe in the resurrection. I believe that you are the one who brings new life. And I receive it now in your good name. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvillroad.cc. God bless you.